0: it's the product ties podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks as always for tuning in today. Got a good one. I'm talking to Mike Gamarino. He is the founder of blueprint partners. So this is another one of those episodes where I'm just getting educated on a, a space of business that I really don't know much about. And that is e-commerce, you know, people buying things online and packages magically showing up at my doorstep. How does, how does that all happen? Well, Mike kind of educated me on all that. And that's exactly what he helps, you know, small and mid-size and and growing uh, e-commerce brands figure out for themselves, especially as they start to grow rapidly. It's like, how do you figure out fulfillment centers and, and operations and processes and and all these different things? And obviously I'm a process guy, so I'm I'm eating up this stuff <laughs> just as much as, as he does. So yeah, this was a really good interview. I, I think uh, I think you'll you'll get a lot out of it. We talked a little bit about um, how he launched. This consulting business and and how he started to to learn how to productize and and start to focus in the different buckets of, of services and try to figure out. I, I liked how he put it. He started out just by publishing his resume and figuring out what people want, and eventually he learned like, oh, this is the the specific areas where customers actually have a need. We talked about showing or not showing pricing on the on the website and uh, and maybe just productizing things behind the scenes rather than so much on the front end which is very interesting as well and a whole number of other things like uh, how to keep a referral engine going how to transform a business that is largely in person you know he was flying everywhere meeting clients on site to this new covid world where he had to you know transform the business and, and work remotely and that's working out really well for him so so as always we covered a lot of ground here it is here is my conversation with mike Camarino. enjoy it Mike Gamarino, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. So you are a uh, founder of, of Blueprint Partners. Why don't you give us like the quick, uh, I, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm usually not such a fan of like the podcast that just start like, oh, tell us what you do. It's is, like the very first question. But um, but I guess this is going to fall into that in, into one of those shows. <laughs> sure. Well, that's all right. I can give your listeners some idea of kind of who they're listening to. So that might be helpful.
1: I run a consulting company called Blueprint Partners, and I'll give you a little bit of the history of the impetus for it. So my career has mainly been in startups, mostly working for product and e-commerce businesses here in Los Angeles, maybe for like the last 12 years. And I've always been a operating founder, so kind of the third leg of the stool. So typically you've got somebody that knows the product, you've got a marketer. And then you need an operations guy once your sales at a certain point to kind of help build that foundation to ensure that you know your your operations can scale with your growth and that you can get your product to your customers in a timely fashion. So I helped the last startup I did. I helped uh, start a company called the Black Tux online tuxedo suit rentals, and I ran operations there and built out the distribution centers that we have here in California. I eventually opened up one in in uh, Pennsylvania as well. So my background mainly is on kind of logistics, supply chain, warehousing for emerging e-commerce brands. Very cool. And about three three years ago or so, I saw this, I don't know, I just felt this white space because I had been through the ringer a few times and knew how hard it was to build operations to support a high growth business, especially kind of you didn't really know where you were going. So uh, I started Blueprint to basically help my former self So what we do now is build those supply chains, those warehouse distribution programs to make sure that operations always stays ahead of sales. I never want founders to stress about ops and worry about how their product is going to get to their customer. So we kind of take all that all off their plate so they can really focus on growing the business and really stay on the revenue side of the business.
0: Very cool. You know, I, with e-commerce in general, it's one of those spaces that I only know a, a thing or two about it from friends who run e-commerce business or like software for e-commerce and stuff like that. But it's still like a big black box to me. You know, I'm I'm just a consumer. I receive packages from stuff that my wife and I buy online. And it's I've always been sort of fascinated by, like, I, I know that there must be some insane operations that are happening behind the scenes to get this package to my doorstep in a really quick time frame, but that's been a black box to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think as it, as it should be, I think I always say that operations, we, we toil behind the scenes, right? It's the, not the non-sexy stuff of, of a, uh, of an e-commerce business and it should just work. So my, my goal as an operator and as a consultant is to take that, that black box and almost, and not that it's, we want to hide it, but we want to keep it to a point where you don't have to worry about it and you don't have to think about how products get to your door it just happens. And that's kind of the magic of a really well-run operations and distribution network. And that's certainly what we we strive for.
0: Can you like, I guess maybe just like educate me and, and the listeners a little bit about like, what does the landscape look like these days for e-commerce businesses? Like, you know, cause I know obviously there's like Amazon and then there's fulfilled by Amazon, there's drop shipping, there's, there are these like fulfillment centers and everything. Like, can you give us like the landscape of like, if you're a startup, you know just starting up a new clothing brand or something like that are you typically going to be like managing your own warehouse or you're going to go to something like fba what, what are like the different segments of, of this e-commerce world look like and, and especially like as it relates to your clients
1: yeah sure so i mean we just we can take a hypothetical example so let's say i'm you know i'm starting a new denim brand right and i've been kind of designing it and, and, and structuring it and perhaps even sewing it myself to get my prototypes out there and uh I set up, perhaps set up a Shopify site, maybe to start selling my, my wares. And typically when you're, you know, a a founder and an owner of a small business, you're doing fulfillment yourself. I mean, I always recommend that founders start that way anyway, because it does give them a little bit, you peer into that block box a little bit and understand kind of what it takes to fulfill an order, to, you know, work through an order queue, to deal with returns, to, you know, deal with issues with shipping. So you have at least some idea of what's going on.
0: Huh. So even, even for like a brand new startup, like you do recommend, like, you know, put the inventory in your basement and package them up yourself and send them out.
1: Like, yeah, I, I mean, that's how, that's how I learned it. And maybe that's a little bit biased because I, I enjoy that, that kind of stuff. But I do, I do yeah. think most founders, even if they're not, you know, don't have that operation slant, there's a certain fulfillment and enjoyment about actually packing up and sending out orders. You know, it's the fruits of your labor. We're a, you know, it's a technological society and most of us are knowledge workers. So to get that, you know, enjoyment of actually fulfilling orders yourself, I think it demonstrates some pride in your business in addition to kind of understanding how that works.
0: I actually just recently launched my first, okay, this is not like a real business, but it's a it's my first like e-commerce website, basically just to be able to kind of give away free t-shirts about for product and for process kit. Mm-hmm. But I set up a WooCommerce store for that because for... Some people who come in, like they would buy them, but for like customers and stuff, I would just, you know, give them the the free coupon code. But the fulfillment side of it, I went with uh, with Printful, you know, just get it away from my plate, just <laughs> website, click, they handle the fulfillment. I just don't want to deal with that.
1: Yeah. And for that kind of stuff, like print on demand, that's great, right? That way you don't have yeah. to worry about holding inventory. And for, for certain things along that lines, it makes a lot of sense.
0: But if that was my, if that was a real business for sure, I'd want to get my hands dirty.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think if you were actually had the product, you know, it needed to be shipped to you for fulfillment, then you you might want to do it yourself. It's a little hard when you're really starting up. You've got to find somebody that's going to take a flyer on you, right? Because setting up a, a third party fulfillment center, you know, it takes them time and money to set you up as a client. So we we do work a lot with VC funded startups. So if they have some backing and can show you know, really nice growth projections and some traction, then we, what we do is we'll come in and we'll help find you a partner to ship your, your product. And we try to build that story and sell that story to our fulfillment partners so they're able to kind of take a flyer on a new startup. So sometimes fulfilling yourself may be out of necessity more than desire because you do have to reach a certain critical mass before someone else might be interested in helping you.
0: Hmm. How does that arrangement usually work for, like, to to find a fulfillment partner? Are they, like, where where is the risk for them? Like, like it, it's not just a direct transaction. They they sort of need to take some risk to to take on their inventory and, like, what if it doesn't sell? Is that yeah? And, and you know, startup businesses are not all startups are going to succeed. So
1: you know, it takes a a warehouse the same amount of time about to set up a small client as it does a large client. So, you know, if you're, for example, just for my business as a consultant, you know, do I want to deal with, do I want to have five large clients that I work with, or do I want to have 20 smaller clients? And you can go either way with consulting, kind of depending on your model. But for 3PLs, you know, they would probably rather work with the larger clients so they don't spread their risk too much, but it's a nice delicate balance. And and the other thing with startups, it requires a special type of warehouse, I think, to work with a startup because their demands and their needs are going to be a little different than working with a large established company. So, um, kind of the personal touch—we look for that to make sure that, as a small business, we don't want you to just be a number at a warehouse. We want to make sure that they have a—you know—that they're taking care of you. So that takes—I think—it takes a certain type of 3PL to be able to work with small and fast-growing organizations.
0: Got it. Got it. So yeah, I mean, like let's talk about Blueprint Partners a little bit. I really love the way that that your website is laid out and how you you've set up these you know under our solutions every every page like multiple solutions, but each one has a dedicated page and you're going into detail and into like the process. The other thing that I like about how you've positioned your solutions is that you've named them based on like the end goal or the or the value. You know, like there's one called you know outsource your fulfillment, you know, optimize your warehouse, like. If you come to the website, that's something, that's my goal. I, I need to optimize my warehouse. That's where I'm going. So I, I really like how you've positioned that. No, thanks. So like who out of the, the spectrum of, of e-commerce brands and, and companies, like who are your best clients for this?
1: Yeah, we work with pre-launch all the way to, you know, small organizations. We're not working with, we still work with startups that are more mature, but I would say we, we look at kind of our ideal client in a couple of different ways. And one of them is the team. So we'll provide kind of ongoing operations support for some businesses that maybe don't have an experienced operator on the team. So a lot of times when you're growing, you'll have that kind of that founder, the product founder, you have the sales and marketing person, and then operations will start to take too much of their time. So maybe they'll hire a junior operator, somebody to handle kind of day to day. That's an ideal client for us because we'll come in and kind of help and guide somebody that's a little less experienced on the operation side and almost mentor them. And provide kind of high-level strategic and guidance. So we look for the a team that maybe doesn't have, you know, the VP of Ops or a COO level, you know, team member, and somebody that's growing really fast and needs us to kind of peer around corners for them. So I think that's something we do really well because I've been in the trenches <laughs> and been run over by, you know, sales that are increasing at a at a great rate. So by using what we've experienced working actually in as founders in startups. We try to help them peer around corners, so that tends to be kind of the ideal client and team that we would work with.
0: That's an interesting pattern that I've seen across many of these episodes on this podcast, and just productized services in general. I guess this probably extends out to any consultancy, but it's that working with a client who has grown to a certain level where where they have some core need in the business, but they have not yet taken it in house, right. like or completely, you know, and that's where a like these very productized services can just plug in so nicely. It's it's a like a great alternative to hiring a, a very senior, experienced level operator. You know, like what I've been doing with, with Audience Ops. It's like blog content before the company has really brought in their in-house marketing team.
1: Yeah, I'd agree, and I think I've been when I came to LA working software startups here. This was in two thousand and six there really wasn't much of a startup community. It was just kind of in its early stages. You know, the Bay Area was the place to be. And what I've seen over time here, now, now this place is called Silicon Beach. I mean, there's tens, if not hundreds of startups here. A lot of them focused around e-commerce. And so what I've seen over time is you've got entrepreneurs that have had successful exits. You've now got venture capital firms that are here based in Los Angeles funding these companies locally. You've got angels that have had successful exits that are also funding them. And you have a whole nice group of folks like me that were former, you know, startup guys that are now providing, you know, experienced and high level strategy and services to startups here in in LA and also beyond. But there's a nice, you know, I think the, the ecosystem here has matured. So you have service providers like me who maybe are in accounting and finance or in operations or in marketing or even CEO coaches that come in and are able to provide high level guidance when we didn't even exist a few years ago. And that really just helps buoy the entire ecosystem of in our community here in LA and beyond. So I think it's grown in a way that I've been really impressed with kind of the way that the ecosystem has grown here in Los Angeles since I've been here.
0: Very cool. So, you know, we'll we'll jump back into like the nuts and bolts of your work with clients, but I'd like to get a little bit more of your story here. So I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, after your experience working in the, you know, working in operations in those other startups, why did you move into uh, blueprint or, or what was the, what was kind of the path that took you into blueprint? And, and I'm also kind of curious, like, have you considered, you know, launching your own e-commerce brand or something like that?
1: Yeah. I think when I, you know, three, three and a half years ago, I was trying to figure out kind of what I, the next thing I needed to do. We had built the Blacktop, I worked at the Blacktops for almost five years, four and a half or so. And we had built up what I consider pretty strong operations. And we had a real nice high growth business. And I was kind of looking for my next challenge. And I said, do I want to do another startup or do I want to maybe try to help more than one company at a time? And that's when I started thinking about, well, maybe my, my network and my skill is is strong enough that I could start a consulting company to help my former self because I did see that white space and I saw e-commerce businesses struggle with growth. So that was really where I, I started to think about that. And I spent a good three or four months just trying to figure out if this was a viable business model, because I didn't know anybody that was doing it. <laughs> and, and there's a couple of reasons why people aren't you know, doing a certain business model or, or enacting it As one is it doesn't exist for a reason, meaning you can't make a business out of it. And two, just maybe maybe there's nobody either thought of it or there's not the right person that had started it. So I think providing operational services to small Emerging brands is not traditional consulting because you think of like the big consulting companies that provide you know multi-million dollar contracts and put an army of consultants uh, in a larger businesses for like M and A and restructuring and those sorts of things and it's typical kind of management consulting. We don't really do that. So I thought, well, is it is this possible? And then after talking to some people, I realized that I I thought it was. So that was kind of the the impetus. After about four months of a lot of conversations and talking with my peers and some people that end up being future clients realize that there might be an opportunity here so that was really the the launching pad for the business and kind of how we came to be today
0: you know that's great because i again it's one of those things that i see this come up again and again because i get the question from a lot of people who are sort of like struggling with like well i i like the productized service concept or the idea of launching a consultancy but i don't have an idea i don't know who to serve i don't know what you know, what the solution should be, you know, I, I could do a thousand different things. But what you did is, and, and what I think so many successful founders and who've jumped from one business to the next is you just learned from, from your last thing, right? Like you, you were at these companies doing operations, understanding the ins and outs of it. And and so I, I just really like the idea of taking what Something that you have some like insider knowledge about and then building a you know a consulting service around it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, no for sure. I mean, I think you gotta go with your go do what you're good at. And um, I mean that is a, probably a nice dovetail into the productization discussion, maybe systemization.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious, like what what is it with you touched on it a little bit earlier, but like so an e commerce brand, like what at what point do they start to feel the pain where it's like what you're offering is really like scratching their itch, right? And yeah. Yeah. How does, how does that discussion usually start with clients? I'd say it depends. If it's
1: pre launch, it's we're not sure where to start. So, you know, we've got product in the works that's being manufactured. We know it's coming in in a few months. We've started to explore fulfillment or, you know, thinking about our distribution model and we're just not really even sure what to look at. So that's, that's a lot of it's just not, it's not knowing what you don't know. So that's kind of pre launch when it's companies that are already launched either they have a sense that things are about ready to break or it's already broken so they're maybe struggling with inventory control they're struggling with you know getting their product to their customers on time maybe it's you know returns or quality so it's it's really one of those three things it's it's a brand new client or brand new company that just understands they don't they don't have an operations expert on their team and is looking for somebody and then it's companies that it's already broken, and they're really feeling the pain. Or it's somebody who's like, "Yeah, you know what? I, I'm pretty sure if we don't do something, I, I you know, we, say we just signed some new wholesale contract, right? Or you know, we've launched a new product that's doing really well, and they can start to feel the cracks emerging, and that's when they'll start reaching out or you know, tapping their network for somebody that knows operations, and that's usually how we get introduced to to startups that way.
0: Got it. Got it. And so I, I believe you, you got into Blueprint. Partners around 2017 is that right? Yeah, okay. How did it begin? like what were your very first steps? I, I, I you mentioned that you kind of reached out to your network, but like what was your very first offering and what did that look like?
1: Yeah, it wasn't it was a hodgepodge. so once I had kind of determined that this was a business that I wanted to try and perhaps there was a market for this type of service, I had a couple of introductions and you know took some meetings not really knowing what I was getting into. And I remember distinctly coming out of like the third meeting that I had with a potential client. And before we left, he said, hey, this is great. Can you write me up a proposal? And I said, sure, no problem. And I walked out the parking lot, got in my car and sat before I started my car and I said, I have no idea how to write a proposal. (laughs) You know, I have never done this before. I've always been a W2 employee. So I started looking for, you know, literally you go to Google how to write a proposal. And I ended up stumbling across some, some content and, you know, got that started getting that process down. And that was kind of the first thing I did to try to, to try to get the business started was to figure that out. And when I was first, when you're first starting a business like this, at least for me, I I remember my first, like web. I started building the, you know, the website for the business and I had a six categories of things that I did. And then I had like four bullet points under each category. And what I did was I basically took my resume and I threw it on the homepage. <laughs> yeah. And because I didn't like, know. Here's everything I do. What do you Yeah, want? because, right. Because <laughs> here's all the things I think I'm good at. Well, what are you going to pay? Like, what are you going to pay? What, what What's going to work? What are you going to pay me for? Right. What can I, where's the need? Where can I find those clients? And then who's going to pay me money for these services? Right. Yeah.
0: And that, I mean, and that's something that like so many, especially people who like just become a freelancer or, or small agencies, you you know, you see this a lot with like web design agencies and stuff. It's like, yeah, we, we make any kind of website you ever want, you know? Right. And I think it's kind of how you have to start because you
1: don't know what people are going to buy. So I had those conversations and they said, yeah, this sounds great. But I think as we know, People will tell you they're going to buy something, but they really, it's really when the dollars come out of their pocketbook. That's when, the, you know, that's when you truly know. And I don't think you'll truly know until you actually try to, you know, put a proposal in front of them and sell them a service. Right. So that was the impetus for me. I just literally kind of threw my resume on the website and I said, here's all the things that I can do. And then started testing, you know, talking to people, identifying what their problems were and then kind of putting proposals together that I thought met their needs. And in the beginning, I was all over the place. You know, I was doing everything that I had done before. Because as an ops guy in a startup, you tend to be a jack of all trades. Uh, Operations tends to be a little bit of a dumping ground for all the things that nobody else wants to do. (laughs) So, you know, you end
0: up wearing a lot of hats, a lot of hats. So just a minute to tell you about process kit. If your operation needs to become more efficient and more predictable so that your team never lets anything fall through the cracks, then it's time to implement process kit. Process Kit is process-driven project management software made for powering client services businesses. It's especially designed with productized services in mind. Create powerful SOPs with built-in if this then that automations, and then use those processes to power all of your repeatable projects. Whether you're managing a pipeline of new clients onboarding to your service, or tracking weekly deliverables, sales proposals, marketing assets, or admin work. ProcessKit is your team's place for getting it all done, but more importantly, done right. Use our powerful Zapier integration to hook ProcessKit into all of your other systems. And if you'd like expert help with improving your processes and automations, ask about our ProcessKit implementer service. Request your free demo and trial at processkit.com. I would imagine with with operations, it's somewhat like like software development, where it's like you can get started, but then once once you're in it, you don't realize like how deep the rabbit hole goes with each individual client, right? And yeah. I, I know since then you you've you've learned a lot, and, and you have you know probably much more productized and predictable solutions now. But like, how does that usually play out in, in these sorts of engagements? And I and I've actually started to see a little bit of this myself with Process Kit, where, where I do some implementation services with with customers there which are like prop you know i'm working with them on their business processes even then it's like once i'm in these sessions with them it's like oh wow their, their business is a lot more complex
1: yeah i I'd say i've never started a project and it was easier than i thought <laughs> it's just like it just doesn't work out that way uh because you just don't know what you don't know so in terms of kind of going down that path of starting to productize is I was just you know, we would do these projects and kind of see how they how they materialize and how they how they kind of bobbed and weaved through what we thought was going to happen, and then we had started their themes started to emerge about I thought I knew what people were struggling with, it's based on what I struggled with as an operator, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that people are going to pay me for. They might be doing it themselves. So I think part of it is figuring out what you're good at your core skill sets and then identifying you know certain types of companies and people that like we talked about earlier who are willing to use an outside service to help them because either they don't have the expertise or they don't want to do it or they can't afford a full-time person to do it or maybe they don't need a full-time person so the 3PL search and setup which is now a solution of ours that just materialized after being something that like wow we're getting a lot of requests for this we've done one of these well it's clearly something that other people want well, let's try to wrap some systems around it and processes and it's like spell out everything that we do And that's where we started putting that wrapper around it of productization. And now we have, you know, a fully fledged, fleshed out template for everything that we do through the entire process. And we have a whole host of, you know, partners on the 3PL side that we work with that we've just gotten to know over time. So it really was, you know, just learning from experience and trial and error about what people really wanted. And then trying, I'm an industrial engineer by education. So I'm all about, process and systemization mm-hmm. so using that as as my kind of guide you know we that was the first product essentially that we created because we were it was our most requested service
0: and now it's a the, fairly like, repeated, like setting up their fulfillment partner
1: yeah exactly finding one setting it up and then helping them launch it
0: it's more challenging than you would think <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> yeah so yeah like can you take us through that now so like what does a typical engagement look like so you Get in touch with with a client, they're they're interested. Like what's the next step?
1: Yeah, so we do we have an introductory call just to see if we might be a good fit. And we have kind of going back to the processing, we've I'm working, spent a lot of time actually this year working on kind of our business development process because I think as a consultant, it is something that I never did before. Because when you're, you know, a knowledge worker inside of an organization, you're typically, if you're unless you're a business development or salesperson, you're not doing that. It's not part of your job. So that's a big part of learning to run a consulting business is figuring out how to how to do biz dev and sales. So I realized kind of during this, you know, during COVID actually, it's, it's you know, what, what do I want to work on in, on my business now that I'm not traveling a lot and I'm not flying all over the place and not, you know, I used, tried to use my spare The time that I had that I wasn't, I traveled a ton in
0: 2019. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. So obviously like, like pre-COVID with this type of consulting, is it a lot of in person and i mean we're talking about like warehouses and operations and mm-hmm. things like are you actually like on site with these clients or, or did you like b- before covid were you doing stuff remotely for
1: clients yeah we were and that's interesting thing what we've done over the past say four months or so on our kind of our part of our solutions page we start with an ops performance review which takes a deep dive into the business and it really allows us to understand what's going on and that's to set up the you know the stage for a project that we we understand more than if we didn't do this. So that's the first thing we do. And then down the left side of our of our solutions is the 3PL search and setup where we'll find you a warehouse to do your fulfillment. Down the right side is the warehouse improvement project. If you have a warehouse, then we'll come and help you, you know, make it run better. Maybe you're having issues with efficiency or you know throughput or or having your know, employees are making mistakes when they're shipping. The interesting thing enough is that we were already migrating away from that side of the business. And COVID just accelerated that dramatically, because I visited one client in four months, <laughs> and that's because they were an essential business and they remained open. So we've really focused a lot of our time and attention to building out, you know, our our, our strategy business, our network design business, and then finding people partners because yeah, we, we can't go on site right now. Yeah, and I, I you know in terms of building this business, I think that's the way I wanted to go because. Building a boots on the ground consulting firm is more traditional consulting, and you, you need you need a lot of people, and you need to travel a lot. And I never wanted to build this business into a 50 man consulting firm, right? Uh, yeah. I wanted to kind of keep it small and boutique. What does your team look like today, or is it is it mostly you? Yeah, we've got I've got one full time you know guy that helps me. His name is Jeff, and then uh, so he helps out with a lot of the three pill search and setup, and just you know a lot of execution. Uh, we actually worked together at my previous startups, so we've known each other for a long time. And then we have another person that helps out with client success, and then we've got an analyst as well. So that's that that part of the. but we just hired the analyst uh, six weeks ago. So that's that shift we're trying to make to really focusing on strategy and analysis rather than like boots on the ground process improvement. And like I said, COVID just really accelerated that shift and forced us to go in that direction. So
0: yeah. So I think you mentioned that like the every engagement begins with this the performance review, this like operating performance yeah and and so you have a, the boss system blueprint ops scoring scoring system yeah, so like is th- this is like a is this like a paid discovery project that's like a pretty standard step? It is yes. yeah, take us through that like what is the scoring system and how does that play out?
1: Yeah, well, we've got, and we we do it, I'll just kind of take one step back about paid versus unpaid discovery because I think it's a lot of things consultants think about because you do want to learn as much about your client as possible before you really engage with them because of what we just talked about, about project you know, scope creep and just getting into unknowns and also just really deciding whether or not you're going to be able to provide value. You know, We're fortunate that we get to we get to choose who we work with, so we want to choose the clients that we're going to provide the most value for. And the Ops Performance Review really allows us to do that. And we make it paid for a couple couple reasons. One is the output of this report and this review is a standalone document that has value on its own. We're not just putting together some PowerPoint slides, which in fact was the first one I ever did. <laughs> That's what I did. I did a few PowerPoint slides and I thought it was so valuable. And it was the only engagement that we never saw. We didn't sign something else in the future. And it was really a wake up call for me that, well, maybe this isn't as, this particular format and the way we did this wasn't as valuable as I thought it was. And that's when I retooled it into putting together a fairly detailed report that includes the scoring system and it includes an evaluation of 12 different operational areas. So it's really detailed.
0: How did you, well, um, on that, I'm, I'm curious, like, how did, did you get some like customer feedback or something like that that made you? realize like oh the the powerpoint is not enough like where was the gap that you saw that made you realize that
1: yeah it really was the first one we did and yeah i don't think it was received very well and they didn't see the value in not only the report but if you don't see the value it's also a good way to trial trial our services and i think that i didn't do a good job with it and so that's not going to get me future work right so these discovery offers also allow you and the client to work together for a short period of time on like a low risk project. So we can determine whether or not we're, we're good to work together on larger projects. So it really helps with that as well. Kind of gets you familiar with the client and uh, allows you to spend some
0: time together ahead of a larger engagement. Got it. Got it. So yeah, like about this, this scoring system, Like, how did you identify what the items in that list should be and, and how do you score them? So I think you know it came from experience. I, I and we were trying to
1: put together the areas that we were going to review. I just literally sat down and brainstormed one day. I said, "What are all the key you know areas around operations that we might want to take a look at?" So we go into everything from you know how you write purchase orders to you know how you store your inventory to how you package and ship it to your freight companies. It's basically I'd say everything around product and movement how it comes from your factories, how it arrives, how it needs to be stored. So we built the matrix based off of my experience. And also we've mod, I mean, almost every time we do it, we might tweak it slightly because a client might inform us of something that you should, you know, you should poke around about this or how come you didn't ask me about that. So it's been refined over two and a half years into what I think is a really, it just hits all the key areas of as an operator of what we want to take a look at and what we want to make sure is running well.
0: I love this idea of, of having just a scoring system in general. Like I've heard of like paid discoveries and that that makes a lot of sense as as like an initial engagement. But the scoring system, I mean really the goal of any discovery, but even even pre-discovery, it's it's still like getting the customer to articulate their problems as they see them and aligning that with solutions that you already offer and the scoring system just seems like a perfect path to like bringing those two things together, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, I came up with it actually not that long ago. We had done a, quite a few of these. And I think what I felt people were struggling with was we were putting together this very detailed document. It ends up being I think the last one we did was 20 pages. So we do some light analysis, you know, do some graphs and, and, and charts and things because I'm a very visual person. So it helps me kind of see how the business is growing and where you know where their sales are, what kind of products are selling. And I, I I was even having a hard time digesting my own document. I said, if it's hard for me, it's gotta be hard for the client. So that's where we came up with the scoring system, because you can look at it. It's it's a it's essentially a, a matrix, it's a three by three matrix that scores each area based on strength, based on risk, and gives them an actions that they should take. And what it does is you very the very first section of the of the OPR you can see this matrix and it gives you a nice summary of what's to come. And I think that was more for almost of me, you know, I almost came up with it because I was, I realized I was throwing a lot at our clients in terms of doing this review and I wanted to give them away so they could kind of see everything in a holistic manner. And scoring just helps to, because we put a narrative together and narratives can be very subjective. So we wanted to take that in the subjective narrative of say, here's your risks and recommendations and then put an objective scoring system behind it. And I think people appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And then like, how do you go about determining what, what the score should be? Like, do you have like an interview process or what, like, how do you do like that detective work?
1: Yeah. So we, the first week or so is just data gathering. So we'll send, we have a product information worksheet that has a, a, I don't know, 20 questions on it or so that we ask. And then we, we ask for a lot of data. We want to understand your sales. We want to understand your product lines. We need to understand what channels you're selling in and, and, and how sales are, what's your history and then what's your future. And what are you expecting? Because we're we're not really looking at what's happening today. We're using today as a proxy for what might what might break tomorrow. And the difference between that is the gap between where you are today, where you need to be, and we're trying to fill in that gap from an operational perspective. So that's that tends that tends to be the value of it is uh, is that gap analysis for them, and then how we can help fill that
0: gap. How does it actually play out for this uh, for like the paid discovery engagement? Like, is it? Is it like a set number of calls over a number of weeks? Or yeah, what does that look
1: like? Yeah. So after we gather all the data, we do some light analysis on it. We'll fire you know, questions here and there. And then we sit down with the client. We used to do this in person. <laughs> and I never thought we'd I was like, how can we, oh man, this, this sucks. I can't meet the client in person to do these because we'd spend a good half a day with them. And, you know, we just adjusted and now we do it virtually over a, you know, a Zoom or Google Hangouts call. But we'll spend a, typically a morning with the client, say from nine to 12. And we go through all of those areas and we just ask tons of questions about the data we received and about the way that they're currently operating. And then also just talk about kind of, you know, what's keeping them up at night, what's worrying them about the future. So we get a sense for really where their, their pain points are. Uh, and then we go off. It takes us just a couple of days or so. We're usually about by the time we write the first draft of it, we're usually about 90% done. And then we'll come back in a few days, and then we present it, and then we kind of fill in some more gaps. So the whole process is between two and three weeks is usually when we get it done, usually on the two-week time frame. So it's pretty quick. Uh, We've done enough of these now that we're pretty efficient with them. And I I think our clients appreciate that because it demonstrates our experience when we can, in two weeks, get a really good sense of how you operate and put together a very informative report of our business and our assessment of your operations. Got That's it. what we try to do
0: anyway. Very cool. So I wanted to kind of learn a little bit more about, I guess, your more core services that happen after the paid discovery. And also I'd, I'd like to get a sense of of pricing and how you structure things. I mean, I noticed you know th- this is like a running thing on this podcast. It's like it seems like 50-50, you know, to people. To price eager. or not to price. <laughs> yeah, to like publish publish at least some sense of, of what the pricing is on, on the website. But in, in your case, I mean you have a you have a few different solutions. I'm not seeing pricing shown on the website, but it does like look like you have some pretty standard, you know, packages that that you send people through after the uh, paid discovery. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like how do you introduce it like after does the paid discovery also come with a proposal for for the next engagement or something like that?
1: Yeah. And I mean the pricing is a really and it's an interesting conversation. I'm sure you've you've found with others. I used to have some prices on my on the site.
0: First I started without
1: them and then I ran into this problem where I said, well, there was sticker shock, and I said, "Well, let's put some prices." I used to have the OPR and the three PL have pricing on it because I wanted to get set people some expectations, and uh, you know, to some there's some floor of where you know where where we go. And I recently removed them, and I, I kind of tell you why. And I think for me, we're while we have these solutions here. I think there's a difference between kind of productization and systemization. And I'm somewhere in between there. So if you want to go full productization, that is actually putting a menu of prices that you can choose from. I kind of took one step back from there because of what I was mentioning earlier about kind of readjusting our offerings based on the current, you know, the current climate and what we're able to do, but also, you know, it ended up accelerating what I, where I thought we would be already. And I pulled them back because. I wasn't sure if what we were offering before was what we would be offering in the future. So what I do now, and this is something I struggle with, and it's just, it's hard, you know, but prices are never fun to talk about. I don't think anybody enjoys it. And, you know, it's a delicate dance, I think, between, you know, what a client is willing to pay. And many times they're just unsure because especially, you know, I deal with smaller companies that don't have official budgets. So they don't have official, you know, budgets for outside consultants or budgets to take care of certain things. A lot of it is done by, you know, how much cash do we have in the bank? What do our what do our revenues look like? And then how do we either keep this company profitable or, you know, keep our burn rate down to a certain a certain number? So, you know, I don't have a great answer for the pricing
0: question. (laughs) Challenging. Well, I do like having I like how you have that that flexibility there because it it sounds to me like the process of, of what you're doing and uh, uh, like the deliverables and things that you're working with clients on seems pretty predictable and systemized and productized mm-hmm. and all that but having some flexibility on how you price it because I mean there could be value in different ways right like there you know right they, you know maybe one company doesn't have as high of a budget but they have a, a good referral network or something like that and so you can take those things into account.
1: Yeah, it allows
0: us to be just, yeah, more flexible. And we really try to
1: take our template, but then we customize that template. It's almost like that menu is a little bit behind the scenes. And then we construct the menu for the client based on those conversations. And then we almost always put options together. And I think that really helps with the pricing conversation, because if you're unable to kind of tease out how much we would like to pay or how much we can afford to pay for this type of service, what I try to do is give options. And so that allows them to say, well, you know what, you know, your option two, which is the middle one is right about what we want to pay. And it's got the services that we would like. And then other times it's like, well, this is too expensive. Can you go back and let's reconfigure it? Now we, now we have a sense for how much you cost. Let me reconfigure it to work within your, your guidelines and kind of your, those, those guideposts. So it really helps. I don't know, it, it's, it takes a little longer and adds maybe a couple different layers to the business development process. But in the end, I think we're able to put together a package that really works for them and also
0: fits their budget. Yeah. Very cool. Well, like the last thing that I wanted to just ask you about here, because you talked about it early in this call where it's a little bit unclear whether or not there's there's like a market for this sort of consulting service or this solution for e-commerce brands. And so that makes me wonder, like, how how do you attract most of your clients and is it is it the type of thing where there is some built-in demand? People are actively searching for consultants like you to help improve their operations, or is it more of like an education play where you where you need to kind of be in touch and and, and then they realize the need?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a this is a great topic because it also kind of along the lines of pricing. It's complicated and business development in consulting is not buying Google AdWords. <laughs> you know typically right it can be but typically you know you you need to even you know if you're a, if you're a commoditized solution and you do go to the productization route you still have to demonstrate that you might be better than the guy next door so in that case for me it's it's just a lot of personal touch it's a lot of you know reaching out to people and staying in touch uh, we've been fortunate that nearly 100% of our business is referrals so that's that's how people typically find us but that's me spending, you know, three years of my time, at least for part of my time, really establishing, I don't know if you establish Blueprint as a brand, but it's certainly, you know, that's part of it. And just being well known in the community as a service provider that you can trust.
0: What are some of the things that, that you do to like, keep that, keep a strong referral network going? Well, I think the number one thing is just doing great work. I mean, that is yeah. number one, first and foremost, um, but that's not going to get
1: you all the way there. So you've got to stay in touch and I'm an engineer, so I, I'm not kind of going back to the biz dev and sales. It's not something that comes naturally to me. So I really have had to spend talking about processes and systems. I've been spending time also during these, you know, taking some extra time during the last four months is really starting to try to build out and systematize how I interact with prospects and, and past clients. And it's mainly just, you know, it's it's honestly, it's having conversations with people and just checking in and seeing how they're doing. And just demonstrating that you care. I I think that's, that's first and foremost is showing interest in future clients, what they're doing. And then if things materialize, great. If they don't, let's talk in three months. I think the other thing about B2B consulting services is that I very rarely have sold, you know, when you're, when you're talking to folks selling something in an hour, it's just, it's for me, it doesn't happen quite that, you know, that perfectly, I suppose. I mean, we, I may meet somebody today, and I may not start having a, a paid engagement with them for a year. Right. So because we're trying, we're really trying to narrow our focus on our ideal client, and because we've productized, that that almost you know it, it helps narrow our, our client base and really finding that ideal client. But that also means that especially when you're dealing with e-commerce startups, there's a window of time when they're passing through where we're going to we're going to be valuable to them. So that's where you always have to just kind of keep in touch with people, even if they're too early, because eventually they're going to pass through that window of time where they need your
0: services. So uh, that's a really great way to put it—that that yeah. window of time that they pass through. It's so true because it's not again when when people are trying to figure out what's the best idea for a business like this to start. It's one thing to identify like the the ideal customer in the market and the general need, but then I think there's another layer to it, or another you know where you start to identify well what's What's the event or the or the set of circumstances that needs to come up in their world for them to start wanting to actively, you know, need this solve? One hundred percent. I mean, that I think is one of the keys to like long term business development is
1: understanding that trigger. It's like, why are they reaching out to you? And if you understand what that trigger is, it's usually a pain. It's almost always a pain point. And getting to that pain point sometimes is, you know, you've got to ask a bunch of questions to get there because it may not be you know, on the surface, or maybe they may think they might have a certain pain point that you realize actually there's something other, something bigger that's lurking behind that, <laughs> you know, it's getting to that root cause of the problem. And that just comes kind of with experience, but yeah, it just takes conversations to kind of, to, to pull that out sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we, uh, you know, we're now in like the second half of of 2020. Um, you mentioned that obviously your your business is transforming a lot. You know, going fully remote now. What else are you kind of focused on this year? You know, trying to change or improve in Blueprint.
1: Well, I think it's I'm still going to continue working on process.
0: We're you know we're
1: we're we're building that out now. We're definitely not in any way done, and it's an ongoing pursuit. And for me, it's being more efficient and effective at delivering our services because I want to be able to. Help as many companies I can as I can at the same time. And now that we're moving away from like maybe larger scale warehouse improvement projects where it might be bigger clients. So let's say we were servicing five clients at a time on larger projects. Now we might be serving 10 to 15 at a time that are earlier stage. So to be able to do that. <laughs> You have to be systematized. You've got to have your processes in place because I can't keep track of how am I gonna keep a track of twelve clients if I don't have, you know, a very well regimented system of keeping them running through these projects, right? Yeah, for sure. So that I'm just continuing that focus and trying to get better at that. Uh and then, you know, biz dev has been a big focus of mine too, is is continuing to improve that process because honestly I've never been all that good at it. And we've just been fortunate that we've gotten enough referrals to keep the business humming. But I don't think I don't want to always rely on that. And I think we can, if you're really trying to seek out your ideal clients, you need to pull them into you and not always have them pushed to you via referrals. Because sometimes referrals, that's not a perfect fit. So I think having, being able to pull that ideal client into you is important when you start to productize. Because as I mentioned, that's going to narrow your, your client base down, which I think is always a great thing. If you can become like that guy or, or that woman in, the, in your field that somebody always looks to when they have this specific problem. I think that's really how you make a, a wildly successful kind of boutique consultancy out of what you're doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's even you know it's it's a whole other level now with this new climate where, where you you know you can't go out to conferences and things like that to to keep the network going. Yep, <laughs> it forces it <laughs> for sure. Well, uh, well, this is really cool. I mean, what what you've been building here with, with Blueprint is is really impressive. Um, I definitely you know, recommend everyone check out the website. You know, I'm sure that there might not be many e-commerce brands in this audience, but I mean, just to see how you've organized the website and and put the information together, I think it's really clean and, and, and informative, you know, so it's really nice. That's great. So that's at blueprintpartners.com. Is there anywhere else people can uh, connect with you or follow along?
1: Yeah, that's really it. I mean, it's uh, B-L-U-P-R-N-T, so without the E. Uh, I mean, I do write on occasion, so I've got a newsletter. I've got a, a page on Medium. It's basically under my name, Mike Gammarino, but uh, trying to get better at that because I, I do enjoy it. I just don't write enough. So
0: Nice. Yeah, we'll get these all linked up in the show notes. Well, thanks, Mike. This is good.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks so much. I really, really appreciate the compliments. I've enjoyed our time together. It's awesome.
0: Cool. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at Cast Jam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in.
1: I'll see you next time.